Previously on Mona's Isle. You're going to put that blasted console away right now or I'm keeping it for the rest of the trip. There's no Wi-Fi. Of course there's no Wi-Fi. What did you expect? You said she was getting a widget box installed for the TV. They need the internet. Internet? Why would you need that? Maybe to talk to my friends. Oh, grow up, Rory. Your brother's three years younger than you and you don't see him acting up like this, do you? Since when did Granny have a cat? Dad, why doesn't it have a tail? He's a manxy, Ashley. They lost their tails when the door slammed shut on Noah's Ark. The cat's got a good nose for themselves, the thieving little beggars. It's a good job, too, or they'd have been off with all my bunting for Parish Day already. Ori, where are you, silly cat? Oh, Mum thought you weren't coming back tonight. Mona, where's the coffee? It's not moved since you were here last. Artie pushed aside yet another box of instant oat sachets that Mona had forced into the breakfast cupboard. His suspicions were confirmed that, on this one occasion, Mona was not speaking figuratively. Pushed to the very back corner was a solitary and forgotten jar of instant coffee. It was exactly the same one she'd reluctantly bought for him the first time he'd visited the island nearly two decades before. He picked it out, tearing the bottom of the jar away from the close bond it had formed with the shelf. The gloss of the label had all but disintegrated, and the damp sea breeze Mona insisted on letting in through all the windows had transformed the freeze-dried granules into a highly suspect slurry. Some mornings he would have been able to shake off the disappointment, but after the night he'd had, the caffeine was non-negotiable. He loathly plopped two rather uninspiring tea bags into a mug and squished them with the back of a spoon until the water had turned a deep and murky black. Lorna rang just now to say she'd been out chatting with her boy, Niall. I wonder what she makes of him being out so late talking with girls. The boy's 12, Mona. I hardly think. Having finished resetting the spool on the sewing machine, Mona's foot had once again hit the pedal and Artie was drowned out by a noisy, laboured chugging. He brought his mug over to the table and looked for somewhere to set it down amongst the materials still haplessly scattered about for the parish day bunting. A line of neatly sewn triangles shuffled across the tablecloth, tugged along by the whirring machine. In a small refrain, they all came to a halt, helpfully unearthing a coaster buried below. Bit of an outcast, is that, Niall? His mother was after having a girl, and boy, does that boy know it. Poor thing. Artie sipped at his disappointing brew, keenly aware that any interjection would only be cut off by the clatter of another line of stitching. He was beginning to regret involving Mona in Rory's evening escapade. Regardless of how things had turned out, Rory had succeeded in scaring him silly and having Mona pore over it like it was a talk piece on the breakfast news was doing nothing to help settle his pretty shaken nerves. There was no denying that Rory's behaviour at the dinner table had been inexcusable, but with the gift of hindsight, so too was how he dealt with it. He hadn't told her off. He'd screamed at her. You will not talk to your granny like that. The diatribe started off about the awful things she'd said to her brother. But it quickly became something else entirely. Apologize. By the time his breath ran out, the damage 
was already clear. Listening to Mona's Isle, a bewitching tale of adventure and folklore told by me, Kyle Withington, and a host of the Isle of Man's finest actors. So settle in for the Manx myths, mystery, and magic set to unfold. Episode 7, King Ori. The lounge felt icily cold. Rory had stood and stared as Artie threw his maelstrom of exasperation at her. The words swirled with all the hurt and awful memories the trip was dredging up within him. Though her breathing had slowed and her eyes cut into him like knives, she didn't offer a single word in her defence. She looked as though she barely recognised him. The second he broke her gaze, she coolly wandered upstairs. He followed after her, but Mona had stopped him. You best not. The house fell quiet, and he spent the rest of the evening alone in the lounge, reading the cartography book he packed for the boat. It wasn't too long after the sun had set that Mona came down to tell him that Ashley had gone to bed. Beyond that, he entirely lost track of time. Grateful to have been afforded a few precious hours to himself, his mind set into a daze. The chapters sailed by, and he became so engrossed that he got quite the fright when the front door suddenly blew open in the wind. The various implements Mona had hung on the back wall of the Inglenook fireplace shook in the chill, and it doused out the last of the flames in the hearth. He made certain the door was bolted properly, and though his watch said it was only 10 o'clock, he felt the weird old house had given him his cue to follow the others to bed. On the first landing was the door to the room Rory was staying in. He wasn't surprised to find it shut. Taking Mona's advice, he decided to leave it be. Instead, he shouted a quick good night from the hall. No reply came but that was to be expected. She was probably settled into many hours of listening to loud music on her headphones. He flicked the hall light off, which revealed something peculiar. The landing fell into pitch darkness. There wasn't even a flicker of light coming from under the door. It rattled a little. He put his fingers down to the threshold and felt a soft breeze breathing through the gap. Rory? Still, there was no answer. He tried the door, but it was stuck. He'd all but forgotten that the house was so old that each of the rooms was fitted with its own deadbolt lock. Mona? Trying not to make too much noise, he searched the rest of the house from top to bottom, starting with a rather bewildered-looking Ashley in the top bedroom and working his way back down to the kitchen, where Mona was fetching herself a cup of nettle tea. You've gone grey as a crow, Artie. 
Is there a spare key to the bedroom on the landing? Just the one on the doer. Heavens, you don't think she's scarpered? He ran back up the stairs and started hammering at the door, hoping with all his heart that Rory would unlock it and come out. But the bolt didn't budge, and the air under the door picked up into a hollow whistle. Yeah, I think she has. His eyes started to sting as the dread brewed inside him. When was the last time you saw her? Mona looked perplexed. Like him, she hadn't seen or heard a thing from Rory since she'd headed up to her room after dinner. Nearly four hours had passed. She could have got anywhere by now. He picked the car keys off the unit in the kitchen and headed for the door. Don't! Artie! You don't know the roads. I'll go! Artie was having none of it. The car fired up on the drive and screeched off down the dirt lane toward the church. your car. Rory struggled to swallow back her embarrassment. She brushed the dirt off her knees, wondering how she was going to hide her torn leggings from her dad. Ori? Well, his full name's King Ori. You know, like the Viking. He's my mum's. She wasn't sure what he was talking about. He told her his name was Niall, and considering she was trespassing on his garden after dark, she had to concede that he'd been pretty cool about things so far. The cat wandered toward her, and brushed against her boot. White and ginger, no tail. It was definitely the same one. I thought he lived at the lighthouse. Oh, you're crazy old Mona's grandkid. She nodded, sheepishly, though she had to admit she was reassured to hear that others in the village were aware that Granny was a bit... odd. Maybe they weren't all mad. Niall picked up the ginger furball. Sometimes we don't see old Mona for weeks, so Mum lets him wander up there to keep an eye out. Make sure she's all right, you know? It didn't make an awful lot of sense, but the cat certainly seemed to be happy in Niall's arms. I don't want to be rude, like, but what are you doing in our hedge? I was, uh... I... Granny doesn't... Is that a widget, console? He'd spotted one of the analogue sticks poking out of her coat pocket. Rory nodded. No way, you play beast! Yeah! There's no internet up at the lighthouse, so I came looking for Wi-Fi. I was sat next to those creepy stones in the churchyard. Didn't even see it gone so dark. You any good? Rory had always wondered what it was that got boys so caught up on levels and stats. Hi, mage. Not bad. He looked impressed, but it was hard to tell if it was genuine or if it was just because she was a girl. 
The fact he didn't immediately say he ranked higher than her probably meant that she was the more serious player. What are you up to? Things were beginning to feel like an interrogation, but even still, it was the best chat she'd had all day. There was no harm in indulging a little beast's talk, made up for the embarrassment of spying on him. Honestly, I'm a bit stuck. I just got caught up in this stupid quest in the marshes by the Outland Camp. There was this whole thing with trousers and a chapel, with this weird gremlin thing that- Cinturinians. The chapel is in the marshes. It's called Cinturinians. So you've played the quest? No chance. Then how would you know? Well, the quests and beasts are all based on actual myths. She rolled her eyes. Was he really about to explain to her how the game worked? There aren't many Manx myths in there, but the Begain of Cintrinians, that's a classic. Proper scary one, too. Well, whatever that thing was, it wasted my whole stash of haste potions. It managed to kill me even after I'd completed the quest. Oh, you didn't run away from it, did you? I didn't want to waste health points. Why? But gains don't work like that. They feed off fear. If you run away, they'll just get bigger and more powerful. How did it get you? It threw its flaming head at me. Niall burst out laughing. Normally she'd have taken offence to somebody making a joke of her gameplay. But this laugh was soft and silly. She couldn't help but join in. <laughs> they do that. The light over the garage clicked off, and there was a rapping sound at the window that made them both jump. Ori leapt out of Niall's arms and ran into the house. Ooh, Mum's wondering where I am. Yeah, i better go too. Night. Night. The door closed, and Rory retreated back through the hedge to cross the creepy churchyard on her way back to Granny's. It was now so late that all natural light had long gone. She shuffled as best as she could along the gravel path, trying not to walk into any of the old stones. Slowly, her eyes began to adjust, and she could just about make out the kissing gate at the other end of the yard. It was difficult to tell through the wind, but there seemed to be a soft rumbling sound coming from a little way ahead. Then, without warning, Lights shone beyond the stone wall, and the kissing gate moaned as a tall, shadowy figure entered the yard. She didn't dare move another step, but the gravel continued crunching. It got closer and more determined. Whatever it was, it was heading her way. She turned as quietly as she could to try and make a run for it. But it was too late. The footsteps were now right behind her. Her shadow cast along the ground in the flickering light. It was carrying a torch. She turned around and a hand caught hold of her shoulder. She couldn't make out anything against the glare of the torchlight. She was pulled forwards, her face smushed against the soft padding of an outdoor jacket. The smell was musty and familiar. A head pulled in close to hers resting on her shoulder. Gradually, its breathing began to slow. Never scare me like that again. Artie sobbed, not loosening his grip for a moment.
The kitchen door rattled open, introducing the muffled garble of whatever dreadful reality dating show had been left playing in the living room. Rory wandered through in her long pajamas and oversized furry slippers to get herself something for breakfast. It was a look so unmistakably steeped in teenage indifference that Artie found himself admiring the effort it must have taken to maintain. Oh, Luke, it's the night owl. You want to watch your antics, girl, consorting with Niall Quiggin? Despite everything he'd said about being discreet, Artie was painfully aware that Mona was not going to be able to resist making a thing of what he'd told her. Oh, don't get me wrong, Rory. Nothing against you making some friends. You just might find it a smidge easier in the daylight hours. We have plenty enough of them this time of year. Artie swallowed down a nervous gulp of tea, expecting Rory to lash out like she had the night before. But for whatever reason, she didn't seem all that bothered. She carried on pouring her cereal, glancing in their direction only the once to fire a shrewd glance at the cat curled up at the foot of Mona's chair. You know, Artie, you should take Niall with you to Balaglass this afternoon. Ever knows Lorna's got enough on her plate with all the organising. Reckon she'd thank you to have him off her hands. He made it clear that Rory was in no way obliged to this suggestion. Yeah, sounds good. With what could have almost been mistaken as a hint of enthusiasm, she headed off to introduce her bowl of honey cornflakes to the wonders of reality television. For fear of becoming the captive ear for more of Mona's gossip and speculation, Artie decided it was about time he started making something of the day. Whatever the strange bloke on the boat had said to Ashley about storms had turned out to be complete twaddle. The morning sunlight was flooding in a great path across the Irish Sea, and the light breeze made it the perfect weather for a stroll. He was pretty certain that Rory would turn it down. She'd got quite enough steps in last night. Though it was possible that Ashley could be persuaded. Thinking on it, where was Ashley? He was usually up long before now. Artie climbed the stairs right up to the top floor. Ashley? I'm going on a walk around the... He tailed off as he got to the landing and saw Ashley lying on top of the covers in all his day clothes. The curtains above the bed were flailing around in the breeze. What was it with this family and leaving windows wide open? Ashley? He was fast asleep. He tried to bring him round with a little nudge on his back, but his T-shirt squelched. <sighs> Not again. It wasn't just the T-shirt. His trousers were sopping too, and the sheets on the bed. No wonder he hadn't come downstairs for breakfast. He thought they were past this. You've been listening to Mona's Isle. To get in touch or learn more about the magic, myths and making of the podcast, go to monasisle.im or find us on Instagram at Mona's Isle. Subscribe to join us next time in episode eight, The Ben Vara. This episode of the Mona's Isle podcast was created by me, Kyle Withington, with the support of the Isle of Man Arts Council and Culture Vannon. It features an original score by David Kilgallen. 
The script was edited by Catherine Thornley, recorded by David Armstrong and Lewis Withington, and mixed by Doug North. The characters in this episode were voiced by Alice Smith, Tony Eccles, Sonia Callen, and Jack Divers. Thank you for listening, and the full show notes are available on our website. Thank you.